the infant in the manger is God's son. And that's our sermon for the day. Uh, if you don't get anything else, children, adults, whatever your age, get the sermon title, Jesus, God's Son, Nothing's Impossible with Him. I invite you to say that with me. Jesus, God's Son, Nothing's Impossible with Him. So I want to invite you today and really throughout this season to be reflecting on this question. It'll take us from now into the new year. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Uh, your answer, my answer, my answer to that question directs all of my life, my choices, my relationships, my responses to all other questions that are presented to me in life, and it determines my eternity. Your answer to that question should direct every other answer you give on little things and big things, and it will decide your eternity. Now, we're going to focus on part one of that question today and then develop from that. Obviously, we're going to kind of deal with the whole question. But we'll develop more into who is Jesus to me as we move into New Year's Eve and the new year. Because Jesus is going to press that question to us. Today, the basic question, who is Jesus? This is kind of appropriate because classically in the Christian worship year, we focus on the person of Jesus during Advent and Christmas season. And then during Holy Week and Easter, we focus on the work of Jesus. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, your salvation comes from the perfect person and the perfect completed work of Jesus. Generally, we tend to focus on the person of Jesus, his identity during Advent and Christmas, and then we move on to the completed and perfect work of Jesus during Holy Week and Easter. Today, we're going to be turning to two passages of Scripture. One, not simply because it's Advent and Christmas season, so I'm brushing over in that direction, but because it really gives us a key to the whole story. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. It's part of the Annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. And then moving on to where we are in our preaching through Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 17. And let's pray. Almighty living God, you are here. Open us, I pray. Open everyone who would be willing to hear you and know you and your strong holy presence this day to hear your word to us, your word, which is truth, now and forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The angel answered her, this is Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore 
the Holy One to be born will be called God's Son. Now, behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, because nothing will be impossible with God. Now to Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 17. This is after Jesus has sent out the 12, the apostles, in their mission. A groundbreaking thing where he sends out the 12, not just himself, but the 12. Picking up at verse 7. Now Herod, Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some, John has been raised from the dead. And by some, that Elijah had appeared. And by others, that one of the prophets of old had arisen. In other words, arisen from the dead. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he, Herod, was seeking to see him. In other words, he wants to see Jesus. On their return, the apostles, the twelve, gave a full account to him of how much they had done. And taking them, he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you, it's emphatic there, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, Andres men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were fully satisfied. And the remaining surplus of pieces was picked up, 12 baskets full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. We'll go ahead and kind of introduce and go to Herod's burning question. Herod, Tetrarch, this is Herod Antipas, one of the sons of Herod the Great from the Christmas story. Herod Antipas, Herod Tetrarch, said, John, I beheaded. I've already had his head chopped off. But who is this 
about whom I see, hear such things. There's been this building question of Jesus' identity. It runs all the way through Luke's gospel. Chapter 5, verse 21, as Jesus is expanding his public ministry. The scribes and the Pharisees ask, Who is this who speaks such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then over to Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Calling his disciples to him, John the Baptist sends two in witness and judgment and inquiry to Jesus, asking, are you the one we are to expect, or shall we look for another? In other words, I thought you were the Messiah. I, 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 I proclaimed it. I thought God told me that, but, but you're not doing what I think the Messiah needs to do right now. So who are you? Are, are you the one, or do we need to look for somebody else? And then chapter 7, verse 49 then those who were at table with Jesus began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Because only God forgives sins. Now, in this building development, Luke includes, it's interesting, sandwiches between two key questions about Jesus' identity. Herod's, I mean evil Herod, <laughs> Herod the Tetrarch, his question it's an interlude in the action. You know, the apostles are coming back from their big mission, and we're going to move on to, obviously, this miracle we're talking about today and next Sunday. And then Jesus taking his apostles further apart to ask the big question. So let's look at where this is. When Jesus rebukes the storm, we've read this in Luke chapter 8. At verse 25, because Jesus, like God, the creator, has the power to quell chaos, to rebuke chaos, and he tells the wind and the waves to shut up. That's a blunt translation of the Greek. When Jesus has done that and everything's suddenly immediately calm, the 12 say to one another, who is this then? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Because only God does that. Now that's Luke 8, 25. Shortly after the miracle we're looking at today, as I said, Jesus is going to raise this upcoming question to his disciples. He's going to say, who do people say that I am? And they're going to come up with the, you know, the viral speculation that we're, we're seeing here also. And then he's going to say, but who do you? say that I am. That's Luke 9, verse 20. So right in the middle, it's kind of interesting, we get this Herod question too, because it's we're, we're supposed to understand that everybody, even those under the power of Satan, are <laughs> asking, who, who, who is this? Herod's question, who is this about whom I'm hearing all this stuff? And the question about Jesus' identity is begged by the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. So, back to our key passage for today, picking up at Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. Let's notice what has happened. We've been having for multiple chapters in cycle 1 and now cycle 2, what I call cycle 1 and cycle 2, of Jesus' public ministry ranging out of Galilee. Jesus is preaching the word of God and the arrival of the kingdom in word and in deed. 
But something amazing has happened. Now he's sent out the 12. And so all of a sudden what we have is not only the purposeful, powerful word and deed of Jesus, but what we preached about last week. And if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Christian on purpose with power. Are you a Christian on purpose with power? Well, the disciples are doing this. They've been sent out with power and authority from Jesus, and they're spreading all throughout Galilee, doing the same things Jesus does. They're preaching the kingdom. They're healing the sick. They're delivering people from demons. This is now prompting widespread speculation. It was already hot, and this is adding to it. Wild speculation, leading to ultimately the question that you and I all need to ask, because it's the question. I mean, if there's one question you need to answer in your entire lifetime on earth, it is this question, who is Jesus? And again, ultimately, who is Jesus to me? Um, let's think about Jesus' amazing ministry. I mean, it has been building. We've seen it. He has inspired the masses. He has proclaimed the kingdom's arrival, which is, if you can understand what he's saying, if the kingdom has arrived, what does that mean? The king has arrived, and who is the king? Jesus. We'll get to that next week. Uh, he has exercised authority and power over diseases, demons, and even death. He's just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Luke chapter 8. So the speculation has gone viral. Do you know about things going viral? Now, in those days... I don't mean to really disappoint some of you. You'll think Jesus is really, like, not with it. But they didn't have X, okay, or Twitter. They, they, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have whatever social media platforms you use. But things could still go viral in those days. And everybody's talking about it. Have you heard? He raised that, that synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead, and now he's sent out his 12, and they can do the same kind of stuff. Everybody's speculating. John the Baptist. Raised from the dead, even though Herod cut his head off. I don't know, I think maybe he's Elijah. Because you know, Malachi and Elijah needs to come back. I think that's what's going on. No, no, I think he's one of the other ancient prophets. Maybe he's even Moses. Or the prophet after the likeness of Moses coming. But now understand, Jesus has done something that neither John, nor Elijah, nor for that matter anyone else in the entire history of the Old Testament has done. He has given an entire team of 12 students of his, 12 students, like ordinary students, fishermen, guys like that. He's given them full kingdom power and authority to deliver people from demons on his word and to heal the sick on his word. And he sent them out throughout all Galilee to speak the good news of the kingdom. In other words... If you understand your Bible at all, he is declaring that he is reconstituting Israel or ushering in a new Israel. Twelve. Twelve. That's not by accident at all. Twelve. Catch this. Even Judas, our good friend Judas Iscariot, even he's able to do this under the power of Jesus during this period. I mean, that's how powerful Jesus and his kingdom ministry is. So Herod the Tetrarch, heard about all this, overtaking his, his region, and he's perplexed. I thought I got rid of my problems by beheading John the Baptist. No, not quite. 
There's some a lot, someone a lot bigger than John you're dealing with. And the term here for perplexed is interesting. D-A pori. Now, what that means, it, it's translated as perplexed, or you could say at a loss, but what that means is actually, literally, having gone through dia, all possibilities, and finding no way out. Do you know the term porous? That comes from the Greek here, okay? This is aporous. <laughs> there, there is no way out. He's totally cornered by this. I can't come, he's gone through all possibilities and he cannot come up with an answer. Who is this? What is overtaking my life and my region? Let me pause for an Advent application for you and me. Let me ask you this. A ask yourself this. Are my Christian life and my public witness to others powerfully serving Jesus' mission so much that what I'm doing and what I'm saying perplexes evil ones. Are you perplexing evil ones? Because that's what's going on with Herod. And number two, is what you say and what you do, does it lead people to ask questions? You're different. What's going on with her? I mean, she's just not like every other American I run into, always talking to angry about politics or always just kind of consumed with their own stuff, always got their head in their, you know, smartphone and, and can't deal with anything. No, 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 this, this, this guy's, this girl's like different than everybody else. Well, yeah, I know everybody in Starkville claims they're a Christian, but it's like this person actually apparently personally knows Jesus and is working in his power. I need to find out about this person and about this Jesus that seems to have power right now. I thought I knew Jesus, but maybe I don't. Are people coming to you to ask you about your faith, about Jesus? Are you naming the name of Jesus to others so that evil is perplexed and evil ones are perplexed by you and other people come seeking just think about that and pray about how you can serve Jesus this week. I mean, this is the ultimate week, right? It's the week before Christmas Eve. Great time to speak about Jesus and invite people to come worship him with you heading into Christmas Eve. It's, it's kind of a no-brainer. Just think about it. Well, let's move on now to an overview of where we are with this miracle. Luke 9, 10 through 17. Let me pause and ask you the question that's in the sermon notes. If you're kind of beyond Christianity 101, if you've ever taught Sunday school, I'm trusting that you can answer this question. If you've read the Bible a little bit, hopefully you can get the answer to this question. There are two, there are two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. Only two. Can you tell me what those are? Sunday school teachers, Bible people, come on, come on. There's two. Two miracles recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fill them in. Fill the blanks in. I'll give you a moment. What are they? Number one, you ought to get this one right, the resurrection. 
the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But number two, that might be a little harder, except I've already given you the big hint where we are in the scripture today. Come on, answer the question. You can fill it in. The feeding of the 5,000 plus in all four gospels. It's really important. We're going to spend a couple weeks on it heading into Christmas and getting ready to come to the communion table Christmas Eve night. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Multiplying bread loaves and fish to feed 5,000 plus. Why do I have 5,000 plus on there? Well, as I mentioned to you when I was reading the scripture, the terminology, and it's in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is dealing with 5,000 men. The term they're used specifically, Andres, means specifically males. Okay, so let's add to that number. Presumably, there are at least some children. We know one boy from John's gospel, John chapter 6, provides the loaves and the fishes, and he's not a man. So we can at least add him on. I guarantee you there's some more children there. There's some more teens there who aren't yet men under the covenant, and there are also some women there. And in addition to them, you got the 12 because they're not in the crowd. And you got the other disciples that are probably reading the 12. So we got a lot more than 5,000 people. This is a massive, massive miracle. Some people speculate there may be 15,000 or more people when you add everybody up, at least quite a bit more than 5,000. And this multiplying of the bread loaves and the fish, it is the climactic miracle of Jesus' Galilean stage public ministry. And it is his most massive public miracle, period. Let me remind you, his feeding of the 4,000 plus is not directly in his Galilean ministry. It happens over in the Decapolis region. And he's feeding predominantly, if you read between the lines, Gentiles mixed with Jews, which is a foretaste of the Great Commission and the church and the New Testament that is to come. But that miracle is recorded only in Matthew and Mark. And it's specifically less than this central miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Now, back to where we are today. Luke 9, let's move on to verses 10 and 11. We get the apostles' report. They come back and tell Jesus what they've done. And like I said, it's kind of funny, just reading between the lines. Even Judas apparently is coming back. He's, he's done pretty well on this, you know, acting under Jesus' authority. He's going to fall later, but everything's good right now. And now, you know, these guys have been working so hard. According to some of the other Gospels, they haven't eaten in a long time. And Jesus takes them on a retreat. Wouldn't it be nice to take a break when you're really busy? Moms, ever want a retreat? I mean, these guys have been working just night and day, you know, healing people. They've been being in Jesus' role out in the mission field. And Jesus says, let's go on a retreat. And so they head over slightly out of Herod's territory, by the way, um, east of the Jordan River, dispute on exactly what Bethsaida is, but anyway, it's a couple of different main locations possible. We, we don't need to get in the weeds on that. But he, he, he goes over there, but the crowd overtakes him. According to John, they're running after him, and according to John, and also implication in Mark, a lot of these folks are zealots. They are ready for the king, the lead, the great, you know, overcoming. Apparently, that's part of what's going on here. But man, they are chasing Jesus down, 
And he's, he doesn't actually end up where he comes back out of Bethsaida. I'll come back to Bethsaida next week. But he comes out, they're in this desolate area, you know, where there's no provision. But if we read John, it is springtime, sometime around Passover, which means the grass is green. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Yeah, he's going to go there. Um, they come back there. Their retreat is interrupted by these crowds, and you have to know they're very disappointed, and they're upset. Finally, they're going to be fed, and they're going to get kind of renewal from Jesus, and the crowds show up, overwhelming them. But Jesus welcomes the crowd. You know, does it ever bother you that Jesus loves everybody? Wouldn't it be kind of nice if he just kind of loved you? No, he loves, he, he's welcoming the crowd. And the way it works is Jesus, according to all the gospels tell us, he, he goes all day teaching them about the kingdom of God and healing people. If you like short sermons, some of us like short sermons, the devil does a really good job on that. He, he gives really, really short, blunt messages. Go to the devil. He, he's gonna, Jesus preaches a long time. In fact, so long, it starts getting late in the afternoon. And the sun probably is starting to head to go down. And finally, the apostles get up the gumption to go interrupt Jesus and say, Hey, boss, you need to send these people away so they can go get something to eat. You know, be nice to them, send them away, get them out of here before dark. They need to find some place they're going to spend the night. We don't want to sleep with 5,000 other men, you know, and all these women and children. Send them away. Um, and then Jesus responds with the direction of them. No, you. And it's emphatic in the Greek. You, you, you all. Feed them. You could say, well, why is Jesus doing that? Well, remember, he's just given them total power and authority to drive out demons and heal people. If they thought, they might say, okay, boss, what do you want us to do? Do you want to give us power somehow to provide for these people? But they don't catch that. In fact, based on what they can understand, they need to get rid of these people because there's nothing that can be done for them. Advent application, another one of these. How do I direct my dilemmas to Jesus? Do I tell him my assessment and tell him what he needs to do with my prayers? Jesus, based on my assessment, based on my power, my human power in the flesh, here's what needs to happen. Or do I actually believe he's God's son and all things are possible with him? How are you praying? I invite you to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you're going to pray really differently than people of the flesh do. Seek his direction and power. So now, verses 16 and 17. Again, I'm, I'm brushing over this. We'll come back to this next Sunday as well. But here we are dealing with who Jesus is as God's son. He is greater than Moses greater than Elisha and Elijah. This miracle of the feeding sends us back, if we know our Old Testament, to the provision of the manna in the desolate wilderness to the Israelites. And it also sends us back to, in the time of Elijah, Obadiah's providing for the faithful remnant of the priest. And it also sends us back to a time when Elisha in 2 Kings, you know, 
through the miracle of God, is able to feed 100 people, which is really amazing with very little food. 100 people, I mean, that's awesome, right? Well, this is kind of a little bit more than that. And not only because of the numbers. Um, who gave the food? Who gave the manna from heaven? Did Moses do it? No, Moses is just the messenger. God did. Who multiplied the food with Elisha to feed the 100? Was it Elisha? No, it was God. Now all of a sudden, my friends, we're dealing with God on earth. The one who is providing, do not miss this, is Jesus, God's son himself. He is infinitely greater than Moses and Elijah. We're going to circle back around to that with the transfiguration, but do not miss this. This is God's son we're talking about. God on earth. Moses, Elijah, and Elisha were merely servants and shadows under the sun, the living light of God. He is the light of the world. Everybody else is a shadow underneath him. Hebrews 8, verse 5. They, the priests making offerings in the temple, serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Um, let me ask you this too. Let me remind you of this. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who hunger, for they will be filled. Literally, the Greek there is fully satisfied. Okay? Luke 6, verse 21. Now we get the fulfillment. I mean, obviously, the begged question is, who will feed the hungry? And it's God. And now Jesus is feeling, filling those who are hungry to satisfaction. It's the same Greek verb here. <laughs> it's the same Greek verb. Blessed are those who hunger, for they shall be made satisfied. They shall be filled. Now he is doing what surely only God can do. He feeds the 5,000 plus to full satisfaction. He's answered the beatitude, and he's telling you who he is. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you turn to him? So here is the basic truth of God, and I give it to you in a syllogism today. Number one, nothing's impossible with God. Luke 1.37. Gabriel says. Number two, Jesus is God's son. Gabriel also tells that to Mary. It's number two. Therefore, here's the syllogism. Number three, nothing's impossible with Jesus. Get it. So his feeding of the 5,000 and his resurrection from the dead, these are divinely ordained applications of this truth. And it is not by accident that when you go to the catacombs in Rome, when you go to the caves <clears throat> and the places where the Christians hid from persecution in Asia Minor, what are the three things that are highlighted? I mean, this is like first, second, third century stuff. The cross, the empty tomb, and what else? Jesus breaking and providing through the loaves and the fish. The early Christians understood this. And I, I'm inviting you and me to understand it too. This is God's truth for per, poor sinners like you and me in need of a savior. You wanna be fed? You want to be saved. Jesus, God's son, nothing's impossible with him. 
Would you say that now, not out loud, but in your heart, and tell him you believe it? Jesus, you're God's son. Nothing's impossible with you. I give you my life. I trust you with everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from First Presbyterian Church in Starkville, Mississippi. If you want to find out more about our church and our ministries, please visit fpcstarkville.org. If you'd like someone to reach out to you and uh, maybe grab coffee or lunch to get to know us a little bit better, you can go to fpcstarkville.org connect and fill out the form there. And if you like what you're doing and want to see more, uh, go to fpcstarkville.org give to give.